are going to get into a new sermon series throughout the book of December. You want to know what it's called? Oh, you cheated. You cheated. Come on, you got CJ. CJ, you got to work with me, man. No, I'm kidding. Good news. You know, let, let me just say it this way, and you're going to hear me say it this way every single week. 2020 has been a year filled with a lot of bad news. COVID-19, Kobe Bryant dying. I'm sorry, that's just big for me. Um, I know there's been a whole lot of other things that have happened. You've personally gone through so much. Your life, jobs have been lost. But you want to know something? It's time for some good news. You're here because you need to know that there is an unchangeable, unshakable, undeniable hope in Jesus Christ that no disease, no loss, no pain can ever compromise. That's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing leading up into Christmas. We're going to be talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now this morning, I'm going to read for you a portion of scripture from Matthew that we're going to go over. But before I do that, I have a question that I want to ask you that I want you to dwell on as we go throughout this biblical text this narrative this morning. And that question is something that I believe all of us at some point in our lives, maybe especially in the year 2020, have verbally out loud asked out of anger or in our heart of hearts been feeling towards God. And that question is simply this. Where's God when I need him? God, where are you? You see what's going on all around the world. You see what's been happening in my life. You see what's been happening in my family's life. You know. You, I know that your word says that you know. So if you know, then where are you in all of this? I think that's a fair question. And today we're, we're going to look at that question as we go through Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And what I want to do is I want to read for you that portion of Scripture in its entirety, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down section by section and see the truths within it. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Lord, this morning, 
we come before you and we humble ourselves to the power of your word that is the good news of Jesus Christ written down for us to glean from and to remember and to remind ourselves of. And I pray that the good news of the gospel message from the birth story of your life would help each and every single one of us to walk out of this place and see the mighty hand of God at work in spite of problems. So Jesus, we ask you now to speak to us in this place. And in your name, amen. Amen. So, this morning, as we ask ourselves this question, where's God when I need him? I want us to primarily look at Jesus's adopted father, Joseph, in this story, who the author in Matthew seems to really focus on and really shows the characteristics that this man, Joseph, shows and adopts when everything is problematic. Sometimes the birth of Jesus is very clean and very glamorous in the nativity story that we have of him. Can I tell you, he had a rough childhood. He had a rough upbringing. So if you think that you cannot relate to Jesus, I'm telling you, he can relate better than you understand. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Let's see, let's see what his adopted father and birth mother had to deal with. Let's jump back to verse 18. And I'll reread them as we go through it. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to marry Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You need to underline that phrase right there. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. That's something else that if you want to highlight, underline that, take note of it. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. The first point that I want to bring out to you based on this passage is this. Joseph confused a miracle with a mistake. Be very clear about something. The birth story of Jesus Christ is nothing short of a miracle. From Jesus' conception into this world, he has been bringing miracles about. From his very birth story, he didn't wait. God worked. But the problem was, Joseph didn't recognize this as a miracle. And let's talk about that for a second, because objectively, it's not like he was crazy. <laughs> I think any of our, one of us would have responded the way Joseph did in this scenario. And he responded probably a lot better than most of us would have. So l let's look at that. First of all, let's talk about what was customary in this time. It says specifically that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, we don't know specifically, but based on historical studies of this time in the ancient Near Eastern world, it was common for a woman to be engaged for just about a year. That was usually the minimum amount of time that they would be engaged, but a lot of times it would go longer. So it would probably be safe to assume that they had been engaged somewhere along the line for the length of a year, but it wasn't time for them to be married yet. Now, what they also did was they didn't have premarital sex. There was none of that. It waited to be consummated. 
And this was something that was so prevalently strong in the ancient Near Eastern world that, that we're going to talk about a little bit, not just the Jewish custom, but in pagan customs as well. That's a whole other side note, but in regards to, you know, sleeping around before marriage, we just got to be real about that for a second. It wasn't just a Jewish thing. It was a pagan thing that you didn't do that because it showed very specifically your commitment to the covenant that you were about to make. You weren't trying to put the cart before the horse. You weren't trying to eat the cake before you baked it. If you know what I'm saying? You were ready to say, hey, I'm in this and I'm not just going to take the privileges of it until I promise it. And there were so many implications for the family at the time as well. The father of the bride-to-be was the one who, they, there was literally exchange of goods that were given, which is kind of crazy now, where they would give dowries and, and everything for the woman, for the man who was going to marry the father's daughter. But the bottom line was, this custom was something that Joseph himself, in his family society, took so seriously. We look in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 through 24, that part of the Mosaic law specifically demands that if a woman is caught in adultery during her engagement, so that would mean she sleeps around with somebody else when she's committed to another man, then the law demanded that you stone her and the man that she slept with. Joseph was a man of the law who wanted to act justly. And so he, in this moment, it's amazing, has the right, according to his culture's law, to stone Mary. Nobody would have been upset. In fact, they would have demanded it. It wasn't just a thing that Joseph had the privilege to do. It was a matter of honor that they needed to rectify within their culture. This is interesting. So he has a right because in this moment, she finds out she's pregnant, and he knows, I didn't do it. I'll, I'm not this boy's daddy. But she hasn't been told that this is the work of the Holy Spirit yet. We see it right here. We just read specifically that she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't know that yet. Now, through the Holy Spirit is what has been termed in Catholicism as immaculate conception, which is good theology. It's this idea of this principle of God supernaturally working to conceive Jesus through Mary that did not require human marital rela uh, sexual relations. Th this is good theology right here. And again, this is to help us know this is a miracle of God that was completely outside of human control. Jesus's bringing about his, his, his birth into this world was not dependent upon humanity's hand at work. God made it work in an impossible, miraculous way so that he would be set apart. But again, Joseph doesn't know this yet. The next trait that I really want us to look at, again, it said that Joseph was faithful to the law while at the same time he wanted to divorce her quietly. Those are two opposites. Those are not to be understood as the same attitudes that Joseph exhibits. Faithful to the law means he's a man who knows the Mosaic law. He, he's, he's not a Pharisee, but he's a dude who says, I know what my teachers say. I know what my pastors say. I know what the word says. I'm going to follow it because I want to honor God. This is a good man. But at the same time, he recognizes that not in contrast to the word of God, but in further fulfilling the word of God, he says, God is also a merciful God. 
enemies of God who shows forbearance. And so while I have the right to publicly expose her for my thought that she has sinned against me and our entire community and God by having sex outside of our marriage or engagement, I have the right to stone her. But I want to show compassion. I want to show mercy in this moment. So this is revealing further the character of Joseph in this moment. He was a man of conviction, but he was a man of mercy. I want to read for you a direct quote from a scholar that I studied in this text that's it's really pertinent, that talks about the cultural likeness that Jewish culture had with Roman culture at the time, that had with Greek pagan of all in the Mediterranean world. So common, this problem that we see here in the birth story of Jesus. Let me read this for you. It says this. In contrast to most of modern Western culture, that would be how we view in our Western minds with marriage and premarital sex and, and how we ought to deal with that. In contrast to how we view it in the ancient Near East, Joseph lived in a society where he had no option of giving Mary a second chance. You need to hear that. He had no option based on the culture, even if he wanted to. Jewish, Greek, and Roman law all demanded that a man divorce his wife if she were guilty of adultery. Now let's break down what each one of them demanded. Jewish law demanded that a man charge his wife immediately on discovery that she had not remained a virgin. So immediately you call it out publicly, and then you do what the Mosaic law commanded you to do, which meant stoning. Roman law actually treated a husband, listen to this, treated a husband who failed to divorce an unfaithful wife as a panderer exploiting his wife as a prostitute. Can I just be really real with you? I'm sorry for saying this. That means you were considered a pimp. That's who you were. And they said, no, we don't accept that in our culture. This is Roman culture. This is not God-fearing culture. This is a pagan culture. And they're saying, no, we're not going to have that. And it's called, you as the husband are culpable if you know and try to be merciful. They didn't accept mercy in Roman culture. Mediterranean, this is just the rest of the world right here. Mediterranean society viewed with contempt the weakness of a man who let his love for his wife outweigh his appropriate honor in repudiating her. Lastly, what the rest of culture, if you weren't Jewish and you weren't Roman, but you failed to call out the adultery committed by your soon-to-be wife, was you're weak, you're pathetic. Because you're allowing a little bit of a, of a heart love for someone to outweigh what you know you ought to do. Do what, do what a man ought to do. That's what culture said. So there was a, this was a no-win situation for Joseph. His own culture would have said, you're breaking the law of God. Roman culture, if he was Roman, would have said, you are acting like a pimp, man. You're a punk. You're treating women like trash. She's wrong, and you're even worse because you're, you're, you, they assumed that he was doing it for monetary gain. And the rest of the world says, you're weak, you're pathetic. Let that be a learning moment to you when, when you're here and you're struggling thinking that God is a hateful, vengeful God and the rest of the world is so accommodating and nice. I don't think so. Joseph lived in an impossible situation. 
And justifiably, I think any of us can say, yeah, I would have confused that miracle as a mistake. She made a mistake. In the heat of the moment, she was alone with some dude. And you know I, you know what? Out of, I, I, I want to show mercy to her. I'll divorce her quietly, knowing the implications fully well that no matter what, it's going to be found out because she's pregnant and they're going to know I wasn't the father. And if it was found out that he was the father, once again, it was culturally unacceptable for Jewish people to have premarital sex. They were engaged. They were promised to be together. But no matter what, Joseph is in a lose-lose situation. And yet he's still thinking about the well-being of Mary. Let me say it for us this way, for our application. Miracles can be messy. A life lived in service to Jesus where we want God to move in ways that are beyond our comprehension. We want him to supersede our own inability to rectify a situation that we're facing and say, God, I need you to come through. Lord, I need you to provide. I need you to heal. I need you to restore. That's something we ought to pray for, but we've got to understand it's going to be messy because not everybody is going to be pleased in the situation you are going to inevitably offend somebody because of your decisions that you need to make as God wants to freely move in your life. But it's what you need. But it doesn't end here, okay? Because Joseph in this story doesn't just have to figure it out on his own. Let's keep reading. Verse 20 says this, But after he had considered this, you know, what, what's the most effective step I can take? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, I know why you thought this was a mistake. Rationally, you are correct. But I'm here to tell you that I am working a miracle through your betrothed, your soon-to-be wife, the implications of which will have profound effects on the entirety of humanity. You don't even understand what is at work in Mary's womb right now. And I'm going to use you to raise this child. Here's the second point that I want to bring out to you based on this. Fear is no longer rational when its cause is God. You need to think about that for a second. Think about things that cause us to be fearful. Let, let, let me give you two broad definitions of how I perceive fear, at least as we see it in Scripture. It's not exhaustive, but it's simply what I think we need to understand for the context of this passage. First of all, I'll say there is a first fear that we could talk about. It's irrational. Specifically, it's an irrational terror that consumes you because of your own perceived inability to control an outcome. That irrational terror is based on, I can't fix this. I have exhausted my means of being able to overcome the problem that's before me. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm thinking, you get bit by a snake, you don't have the antidote. You're overcome with a fear that goes outside of your ability to control something. That's not fully irrational, but let me go a little bit more irrational. 
hey, Evie, where are you going tonight? Going to Simon's house. Playing with dad. Where are you going? Who's to your phone? Who are you talking to? Who's this? I don't know who this is. What do you mean, just friends? All right, well, I want you to call me when you get there, and I want you to text me in like 15 minutes. And then when you come back, I want a full account of everything that you did that night. You know, maybe if she had cheated on me, there would be cause for me to be a little bit more careful. But over time, forgiveness necessitates a restoration of trust. So no matter the situation, I would need to come to grips for my own well-being, the reality of, you know what? This is irrational. I'm exhibiting literally psychotic behavior because I keep responding the same way and I'm not getting any different outcome because she's not cheating on me anymore. Thank you, Lord. You're great. They just built a new bridge. I don't know if they built a new bridge. They just built a new bridge. But I have a fear of heights. And what if they miss one little part of the foundation of that bridge or one of those metal beams coming down, break a little bit like it did in Godzilla or, you know, it's going to break and I'm going to die. That's irrational. You're superimposing upon the situation your own idea of something that you can conceive might happen. And you're living in constant fear about the what if. That's irrational. Now there's a second concept of fear that we see in Scripture that is actually healthy. And it has largely to do with the idea of reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That word is tied in, in the original language, with the idea of reverence. Now I don't, I don't want to minimalize reverence. Reverence is healthy fear, but it goes beyond that. It's, it's honor and it's homage that's paid to a God by saying, God, I humble myself. But it ultimately is birthed out of a healthy fear. It's kind of like a fire. You know a fire is something that can give you light and it can give you warmth, but you respect its power. If I put my hand in it, it will burn me. Reverence is us saying, God, I'm not going to treat you like Santa Claus and sit on your lap and, and hope that I get a lollipop and all the gifts that I want when I'm done. I got to know that you're a God that loves me and you care for me, but you are fierce. You are uncompromising. And if I try to mishandle you, I'm going to get burned. That's that idea of reverence that we have here. Now, thankfully, Joseph didn't respond out of irrational fear. We do see initially that the angel says, do not be afraid, calling to his attention the temptation to exhibit an irrational fear, saying, this does not make sense. How on earth? I mean, think about it. Don't even think about Joe. We know that Joseph responded immediately. He responded to God. But let's just put ourselves in his shoes. You're going around to your family saying, hey, yeah, here's Mary. explain this because it was either you and that's totally unacceptable or it was someone else which means you got to divorce her and we got to stone her explain joseph you explain it i had a dream man god says there there was nothing there was no hanky panky going on it was god who did it and i got to trust him because it's going to be this child that's going to cleanse the entire world of their sins you try and tell that you try and tell that to your family you try and tell that to your co-workers. 
You know everybody's going to be caught. I don't understand how this man could have, I, I don't even understand the stress and the, and, the, and the depression and anxiety that this man would have faced because of the constant. You know the whole world wasn't on the same page as him. And yet, we know from reading the end of this passage that as soon as the dream was done, Joseph gets up. He immediately consults the knowing that the blame is going to be placed on him as having too soon a sex with her. But that means, you know what? I'm still going to care for her. I'm still going to watch over her. I'm going to do what God has commanded me to do because I trust him. This isn't a problem. This isn't a mistake. This is a miracle. Verse 21, continuing what the angel says in the dream. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God always needs to, nor does he always give us why he's going to do the things that he does. But sometimes he does, and I love that we're able to look at God. We don't need to just say, God, why'd you do that? He said, this is why I'm working, Joseph, because you need to understand the implications of this miracle. Joseph learned that his problems were worth enduring for God's plan. In this moment, Joseph has now a cultural obligation to either call her out, divorce her, or stone her, or declare the legitimacy of this child and give him a name. Customarily, if the father gave a name to the child, that was his claim. That was saying, this is my son, this is my daughter. They belong to me, they're a part of my family, they're a part of my lineage. This is significant. We look, as Matthew loves to do throughout his gospels, he loves to point everything back to the Old Testament. He loves to say, look at how Jesus fulfilled. Jewish individuals who know the Old Testament, let me show you why this Messiah is legitimate based on the word that you adhere to, based on the Mosaic law. Let me show you what the prophets wrote about him. And here we look at Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, I have called you and you are mine. That is a messianic prophecy that we now see in this moment fulfilled through Joseph. Because Joseph claims Jesus and gives him his name, which brings him into the royal lineage that we see earlier in this book and in Luke. Matthew ultimately shows us here through his final word that Jesus came to give us life. When you read Matthew, you see a lot of here's what you ought to do. This is very Jewish. And Jewish custom was very enthralled with the idea of obedience, which is good and necessary. But it can't ever be at the expense of grace. But we don't see the expense of grace in Matthew. In fact, we see the very first introduction of Jesus into this world as showing because the reason why Jesus came was not to make sure that you and I started living every which way that we ought to in order to receive righteousness and be considered cleansed and worthy. That wasn't it. From the very beginning, Jesus' purpose was 
save us from our sins, to do the thing that we cannot do. That's why we give him the name Jesus. you're going through, but God saves. That may be pain in your night right now, but God saves. That's why he came. Last verse. Verse 22 and 23 say this. All this took place to fulfill what had been said through the prophet. Again, this is another quote from Isaiah different version. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, Matthew here is saying, don't think that this is random. Don't think that this is a mistake. This is a miracle. And he appeals to Jewish culture by proving to them, based on their ancient biblical prophetic documents. Do you read the same thing that I read? In Isaiah chapter verse, it says that we will have a Savior, a Messiah, who will be conceived to a virgin. And when he is born, he will be given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, don't get caught up in the details of saying, but he named him Jesus, and there's a contradiction here. That's not the point. The point is the reality. I think they're pretty closely linked, the idea of a Messiah coming to reside amongst his own creation, which Jesus did. He did not stay aloof in the heavens. He came down to meet us right where we were at. He was facing the same temptations, the same problems, the same difficulties, so that he could say, I know what you go through. I know the pain that you face as a child because I had it too. And you know what? I did it for you. Emmanuel, God with us. He wasn't named it. He lived it. God with us. 2020 has been a year that has seemed to just spit on us, kick us when we're down, slap us in the face. That has really kept us asking the question again and again, at least some of us. God, where are you? Where's God when I need him? And some of us are being faced with, with, with Job's wife's response. Curse God and die. Be done with it. He's not showing up. Your life's meaningless, worthless. You're done. Curse and die. It's over. God, where are you? You know what I believe God is saying? December is God's reminder. I'm right here. You've had 11 months of being faced with the reality of an irrational fear. Based on rational things that have been happening to you, but you have or are tempted to allow those rational problems to develop into an irrational fear. You're imposing upon God this idea that what I have gone through is greater than who he remains as the same yesterday, today, and forever. I 
God, I can't believe you allowed that to happen to me. I can't believe I got laid off. I, God, I can't. When you get sick, God's saying, I'm right here. When you got laid off, God says, I'm right here. When your hours get cut and you're thinking, all right, I still got a job, but I can barely pay the bills. I can't pay the bills. I'm right here. When you have been given an abundance of work because other people have gotten laid off and now they're expecting and demanding more of you and you're saying, God, I cannot keep up. Lord, I am losing my sanity because of the work that I'm in. I don't even feel that I can serve you. Why don't you show up? God, where are you? I'm right here. I'm not finished with you yet. When your depression is overwhelming you, I'm right here. When you're forced as a parent to do something that you didn't go to school for, and that's be a teacher. God, where are you? I'm right here. When the 2020 presidential election is over, God's right here. We serve a God who from the very start proved to us that it's been spoken, it's been prophesied, and it has been fulfilled. I lived for the reason for which I came. I lived a perfect, sinless life. I exemplified grace coupled with truth and obedience. I was uncompromising. And I fulfilled that for which I came. And that was to die on a cross. But I didn't stay dead. I rose from the grave. And I've ascended into heaven. And I'm interceding on your behalf. Perpetually and eternally. So now God's turn is to ask us the question. Why are you so worried why are you doubting so much looking at thomas stop your unbelief stop living in this refusal to accept the reality of who i am yes it doesn't make sense that i rose from the dead but come here place your hands into my side feel the nail holes i am flesh and blood resurrected before you thomas stop your unbelief God, why haven't you fixed the problems in my life that have transpired in the year 2020? Why haven't you fixed what has only been exasperated in 2020 that has been in my life for the last 15 years? Why are you living in unbelief? God's saying, church, I'm right here. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. You need to keep moving forward. The promised land lies before you. We need to understand ultimately, though, the reality of the purpose of Jesus in this short passage of Scripture. Yes, Jesus carries us through the problems in the temporal, the here and the now. But it is with the intent of focusing on the eternal. Listen to me. God is going to become a very cheap, a very temperamental and a very situational God if you only focus on him to help you for the temporal. If you're facing depression, if you're facing a, a layoff, if you're facing a medical problem, if you're facing a marital relational problem, if you look to God for the intent of fixing that problem, which listen to me, he can, but if ultimately all of your obedience and your desire for him and your focus on him is for that outcome, you're missing it. 
Because a number of things can happen. God can fix it, but then you've gotten what you want. And let's be real, human nature. I got what I want. Why do I need to do it anymore? We're all that way. I don't care how, how disciplined you are. I don't care. We're all that way. We're all going to act that way. But then there's another aspect that can happen. Maybe God is saying, no, you think you need that, but I'm letting you go through that right now. And the only thing that's going to carry you from point A to point B is focusing beyond that. Stop looking at the wall that's right in front of you. Stop having that, that tunnel vision of just saying, I can't see past, so my problems must be everything about my life. God's saying, I want to lift you high above it all. I want to lift you up on wi- wings like eagles so that you can mount up upon my back. I can lift you up, and you will see everything with the perspective that I have and that I've empowered you to live through me. It's sig- insignificant. It's small. It's nothing. It's fleeting. It's a moment that you will get through because of my power. That's why we've got to live with that eternal perspective. So I'm here to tell you God can. And maybe he will bring you out of, completely deliver you from what you're going through that has made you ask the question, God, where are you? Where is he in this moment? He can. But maybe it's not time yet. Maybe it's delayed, not denied. Or maybe it's, no, you need to go through it because you haven't learned your lesson yet. And I've allowed this in your life because you just won't wake up. I think I am. Problem is, I'm done. She's all happy now. Oh, man. Can you stand on your feet with me this morning? God, you are good. God, you deserve the praise. You set aside your divinity and all of the privileges that came with it, and you took on humanity. You didn't stop being God, but you allowed yourself to live as we are to live the life that we ought to live. You showed us the way. And you remained perfect through that life in spite of your childhood, in spite of the fact that you had a stepfather who could have at every turn ended your life, who according to every cultural norm within his family and outside had the justification to say, kill her, abort him. But he didn't. God, you chose to work through a man like Joseph, and through that working, a miracle place because of that man's willingness to say, I don't care what the world thinks. I only care what God says, and I will be obedient to my God. Lord, I pray that we would learn from this narrative, from this nativity story, the reality of the God that we serve. You know what we go through, and yet you're above it all, and you called us to, to walk in your steps. Jesus, I pray for those of you, for those that are here that have, have asked that question, whether they even realize or not, their heart has asked that question because they're upset. They've been going through some stuff that anybody would be able to say, yeah, that's rough, that's unfair, that's difficult. 
going through that right now. As they're asking that question, I pray that they would be reminded that you're right there with them. You're walking with them. You're waiting for them. Maybe, God, sometimes we're kicking and screaming, thinking that you've left us, but we're the ones who are keeping ourselves down because we won't give up certain ways. But you're still there saying, I'm right here. I'm just waiting for you to realize that you're not listening to me, and I'm telling you, you can get up. It's okay. Stop crying. Lord, help us. Teach us your ways, O God. Renew a right spirit within us, I pray. do this, can I ask that our worship team would come forward in this moment if they're capable, if they're able, if, if they're not caught up. I want to remain in this attitude of prayer. As they make their way forward, I, I want to I do something that might be a little bit difficult to do, but I believe we need to create space for it. We need to pray. Normally we have our prayer our prayer team that comes forward, but um, in a moment I'm going to open up the altars, and I'm going to ask that we don't all come up at the same time if there are multiple people that need prayer. I'm going to ask that one person come, and if you see someone come up, you stay in your seat. And I'm going to pray for that person or those couples, and then when they go back to their seats, you can come forward again. That way we can keep practicing social distancing. My wife, can I can I have my mask wherever it is? If but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna close in prayer, and the worship team's gonna play, and I'm gonna remain up here to pray for you. But if you if you need to leave, we're gonna dismiss. Okay, we're not expecting you to stay. But if you want to stay here as we worship, and you don't want to come forward for prayer, but you want to stay here, you can do that. This is gonna be atmosphere of that place. So, Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for your word that you've taught us. I thank you for your people that have received, that have been here. I thank you for those who are online who have received your word. Lord, right now I pray that in person and beyond, Jesus, that you would, you would enter into our hearts, spiritually transform us from the inside out. Help us to know the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And what started from your very birth into this world. And I pray that we wouldn't miss it. Lord, let restoration happen this year. Let hope be restored this year. Let life be given this year. And Jesus, would we not miss the work that you are doing in this place. Increase our reach, Jesus, in this world to share your gospel message. 2020 might have been a year of nothing but bad news, but the people of God have a message that far outweighs it all, and that is Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be able to share that message. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.